Good morning. Listen to these words of encouragement from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thank you so much. It just sounds so much better with that accent. I don't know if you noticed, but the Alpha Course, uh, much of the Alpha Course is uh, produced and developed in England, and so most of the talks are done in an English accent, and I always feel as though they must know what they're talking about simply because of the accent. Have you ever realized that? The irony is I talked with one of my English friends and told him that, and he said, are you serious? He said, we English think that about American preachers. <laughs> so... Welcome to all of you. If you're visiting with us today, we're thrilled that you're here. Um, this is the third week that we are in a series that we are calling Unleashing Hope. Unleashing Hope. And it's taken from Ray Johnston's book, Hope Quotient. And in that book, Ray outlines seven essentials, seven essential factors that will unleash hope in our life. You see, we all need hope. We need to know where hope comes from. We need, to, we need to know how to get it. We need to know how to keep it. And we need to know how to instill it in people around us, don't we? We need hope. And from what I understand, we can go 40 days without food. 40 days without food. We can go three days without water. We can go eight minutes without air. But we cannot go even a second without hope. That's how important hope is to us. And according to Ray Johnston, he says our level of hope, our HQ, our hope quotient is the most important contributor to our overall success. More so even than IQ or EQ. So we need to know where hope comes from. So for the last three weeks, we've been looking at some of these principles that bring about hope in our lives. During the first week, we looked at how important it is to keep our batteries charged. We need to be up and feeling good. And if we're not, if our, if our batteries are depleted and we're feeling just weak and tired, our hope quotient is going to go down, right? The following week, we looked at raising our expectations. Have you ever noticed that we may not always get what we deserve, but we almost always get we almost always, always get what we expect, right? So our level of expectation plays a very critical role in keeping our hope quotient high. And today, I'm going to look at the importance of refocusing on the future, looking ahead to what is ahead, what God has for us. Now, in chapter 7 of the book HQ, Ray Johnson tells a story about his friends and how he went water skiing with them. 
his crazy friends. And as I was reading the story, it was as if he took a, a piece right out of my life. And if you've been around Trinity for any extended period of time, you've heard many stories about my friends from high school. And so I would like to tell you a story very similar to the story that Ray shared about my friends when I was in high school. One of my friends saved his money, and he ended up getting a speedboat. It was more like a drag boat. This thing had a huge engine on it, and we would take this boat up to the Columbia River. And we would take with us an inner tube and a rope. And we would tie the rope and the inner tube to the back of this boat, and we would ride on that inner tube at breakneck speeds. And that was fun. But the real fun was seeing how long it would take for the driver to whip that person off of that tube and see what happens to their body in the process. And there was an art to this, and we called it the whip. And this is what would happen. The driver would turn the boat at a wide angle, causing the rope and rider on the tube to swing way out to the outside of the wake. When the rider was as far to the outside as possible, the driver would then switch directions as quickly as possible and gun it. This would cause the inner tube and the rope to whip across to the other side and cross the wake. Sometimes we would reach speeds of 50 plus miles per hour. And when you hit the wake at that speed, it propels you into the air some 20 feet. Now... When you are in the air, it's very, very difficult to hold on to the rope. And so very rarely would anyone survive the whip. So when it was my turn to ride the tube, I took my long appendages and I wrapped them around that tube and I hung on for dear life. As the whip began, I remember rocketing across the wake. I remember the G-forces being so strong that the water hitting my face felt like hail, and I remember my hands beginning to slip. Then I hit the wake. The next thing I remember, I was in the air, and I remember as if time stood still, I was looking down at the boat from far above. (laughs) And then I realized, miraculously, I was still holding the rope. Then... I landed on the other side of the wake, amazingly, on the tube. Somehow, I had survived the whip. I was so impressed, so in awe of what had just happened, I remember looking back and observing in fascination how I could have pulled this off. I remember looking at the wake. I remember thinking about how high I was in the air, how far I must have traveled. And then when I regained my presence of mind and looked forward again, I realized that the driver had already completed another cycle. And my tube was rocketing across toward the wake. And I had no time to adjust my body. When I hit the wake, I cartwheeled across the water so many times that I started to count. (laughs) And finally, when my body slowed down enough to submerge beneath the water, I realized three things about myself. Number one, I could not breathe. 
Number two, my eyelids had turned inside out, which I did not know was possible, but they did. And number three, my swimsuit was floating in the water some 15 feet behind me, to the delight of my friends. I learned a valuable lesson that day. Nobody ever goes forward well when they are looking back. No one ever goes forward well when they are looking back. When we look back, we are not living in the present. We are not living in the present and we are not preparing ourselves for the future. Have you ever noticed that what is true in the physical realm is also frequently true in the spirit realm? Have you ever noticed that? If we fixate on the past, meaning our mistakes, or even the great accomplishments that we have made, it will hinder our ability to live in the present, and it will prevent us from fully embracing what God has for us in the future. It's just a fact. And Paul talks about this in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, when he likens his pursuit of holiness to running a race. When he says, not that I have already attained all of this or have already arrived at the goal, what he is saying is, listen, I don't even want to give you the impression that I have arrived. I don't even want you to think that I'm even close to being where I hope to be spiritually. I am not. But what I'm telling you now is I am still in the race. I am still in the race. You see, Paul has been converted. He's been raised up from the death of sin. He'd experienced the peace that comes from being united with Christ. But there was this glorious object set before him that he had not yet attained. A sort of resurrection. It's a form of sanctification. And he wanted it, but he wasn't there yet, and he knew it. Then Paul says, but one thing I do. One thing I do, meaning in the midst of all of the distractions that we face in this world, all of the things that we could be doing, all of the things that we could put our, 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 our eyes upon and focus upon, there's just one great aim that I have. One purpose in my life. And if I don't get anything else done, I'm going to secure the prize before me. The prize that was set before me by whom? Jesus. Okay? And he says, I'm going to do it this way. How am I going to do it? I'm going to do it by forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Now, any runner, if you've ever run track or if you've ever watched track, or if you know anything about track and field, you know that it is an incredible mistake to look back while you're in the race. There will be plenty of time to evaluate mistakes that you have made, but not during the race. Wait until the race is through, then you can think about it, you can talk about it, you can assess it, you can watch the videos, you can talk to your coach, you can do whatever you need to do, but don't look back during the race because it could cost you the prize. It takes your focus off the goal, and it takes time and energy to look back. And there is a constant temptation in our lives to look back upon our shortcomings. We frequently look back upon our shortcomings, and we look back upon our successes. 
We spend time admiring the, the, the ground that we've covered. Have you ever seen a race where someone is just about at the finish line and then they look back to see if anybody's catching up to them and it costs them time? Either way, it diverts our focus from the one thing that really matters and that is attaining the prize that God has set before us. Our pursuit of holiness is similar to running a race. When we look back, we're prone to distraction and discouragement. But when we look forward, we see the joy of heaven set before us. And that is knowing Christ and being like him. That's the prize. And that's what he has set before us. And that's what Paul is is trying to accomplish. And that's why Paul finishes this passage by saying, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. God has called me. What he's telling us is that God is doing the calling. Do you know that God is calling you? We need to put the past behind us, and we need to accept the call that God has placed upon our lives and enable him. He, he, he has enabled us to be equipped and empowered and envisioned to reach and accomplish the prize set before us in Jesus. Did you know that there is a question that you can ask yourself? There's a question that you can ask yourself that will give you the power to change the rest of your life. One question. And that question is something that we should be asking ourselves in every circumstance that we find ourselves in. And that question is a simple question. It's as simple as this. What can this become? What can this become? You see, Jesus was the most magnetic leader to ever walk the face of this earth. And what was it about him? What was it about him that enabled him to liberate people from their past and enable them to see what was possible in themselves, enable them to latch on and embrace dreams that they didn't even think were possible? You know what it was about Jesus? He wasn't focused on what people were like. He wasn't focused on what people were like in the present. He was focused on what they could become. The flashes of their future that only he could see. He could see it. Think about the ragtag group of disciples that Jesus chose to follow him. Think about them. As he was walking around the Judean countryside and other rabbis were with their disciples and they saw Jesus coming, you can bet they said, can you believe that? I mean, look at the people that he chose. They're a bunch of C-minus students at best. But were they? Were they? I wonder. Let's think about Peter for a moment. Peter was uneducated. He was impulsive, unreliable, unrefined. And Jesus took a look at Peter and he said, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. On this rock. You can bet the other disciples, as they were listening in on this conversation, they were like, Peter? The rock? Peter, the rock, more like a marshmallow. But, but, but then Peter, also listening in, listening to this word that Jesus is speaking over his life, must have thought, are you sure you've got the right guy here? You see, Peter didn't even see it in himself. Because Jesus was not looking at Peter in the present. He was looking at the Peter that he could be, the Peter that he would be. Ray Johnston tells a story in his book, 
HQ about Dr. Hendricks, Howard Hendricks. Have you heard that name before? He's a legendary professor. He was a legendary professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And one of the things about Howard Hendricks that is still uh, mesmerizing people is that some of the greatest communicators of our day have come out from under his tutelage. Dozens. And so people have wondered, what is it about Howard that enabled him to produce such incredible leaders, such incredible communicators? He had a gift for not only teaching people, but he had a gift for seeing students as what they could be and instilling that in them in such a way that they believed it. They believed what they could be based on what Howard instilled in them. And when Hendricks was asked about this late in his life, he said, oh, that's easy. It all comes down to Miss No, N-O-E, Miss No. And they said, Miss No, tell us, tell us more. And Hendricks' parents had split up when he was a baby. And his grandmother struggled to raise him. In fact, she was completely overwhelmed by the responsibility. And when she sent him off to school, he was a troublemaker and a hell raiser. And at one point in his fifth grade class, his teacher became so frustrated with Howard that she took a rope and tied him to a chair and put duct tape over his mouth. I guess you could do that those days. (laughs) I don't know if you could get away with that now in our school system. But that's what she did. And she told him, Howard, you are the worst student in this school. And you will most certainly end up in prison. The following year, Howard moves into sixth grade. And he has a new teacher by the name of Miss No. On the first day of class, Miss No takes role. And as she's going through the role, she gets to Howard's name. She says, Howard Hendricks. And she looks up and she sees Howard sitting in the back of the class with his arms folded. And she said, Howard, I've heard all about you. And Howard thought in his mind, okay, here we go. Here we go. And then she said, and I don't believe a word of it. I don't believe a word of it. Howard was so blown away by her response because it was the first time in his life that he could ever remember anyone seeing the potential in him. And that completely transformed him from that moment on. It was a fundamental turning point. That's what he said, a fundamental turning point. And when we start focusing on what something on on what something or someone can be rather than who it is or what it is, that changes everything. That changes everything. You see, what that does is it instills vision. It enables you to see things in yourself that you could never see before. A fresh vision leads to encouragement. Encouragement leads to hope. Hope leads to change. And change enables a person to dream. And we all need to dream. Ray Johnson says that people always fall into five categories. And you may see yourself in one of these categories. Those who dream, or excuse me, those with no dream. That's the first category. No dream, which leads to frustration, boredom, and regret. Number two, those with a low dream, 
which leads to no real challenge because their dreams aren't big enough. Their dreams are just not big enough. And number three, those with the wrong dream, which leads to giving their allegiances to second-class causes, which is never fulfilling. Number four, those with a vague dream, which leads to going through life without ever clarifying or defining what it is that you're really called to. What is your dream? And number five, those with God's dream. God's dream. You see, people with a God-inspired dream know where they're headed because the Word of God and the Spirit inside of them and the believers that they most trust are all pointing them in the same direction. Isn't that amazing? You see, Paul knew that he had a God-inspired dream, and that's why he could say, I'm taking hold. I'm taking hold of that which Christ took hold of me. You see, he knows that it's not his dream, it's God's dream. It's not Paul's dream, it's God's dream for Paul. And do you know that God has a dream for you too? He has an incredible dream for you, and he wants you to win the prize that he has called you to heavenward in Christ Jesus. And there's a lot of substance in that sentence. You see, Jesus sees you not as you are, but who you can be, who you will be, who you could become, the flashes of your future that you have not seen in yourself as of yet. It also indicates that God is ultimately taking control of this dream and providing you with the resources that you need to accomplish it. He's given you everything that you need to get there. That's what Paul's saying. There's an old Alison Krauss song that you may remember titled, I Know Who Holds Tomorrow. I Know Who Holds Tomorrow. And one of the lines in this song says, many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my hand. What is she saying? She's saying the exact same thing that Paul is saying. God has instilled a dream in your heart, and he wants to see you cross that finish line victorious so that you may receive the prize that he intended for you. Now, no matter how you see yourself today, no matter how you see yourself today, right now, it's time to embrace your God-inspired dream. And how do we do that? We need to stop looking back and refocus on our future. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for giving us a God-shaped void and filling it with a God-shaped dream. Lord, I pray that we would embrace that dream I pray that we would recognize that while we go through this life, we are going to make mistakes. We are going to fall short. We're going to get discouraged. We're going to lose our sense of hope. But what your word teaches and what you have taught us through Paul and so many others is that you are a God of second chances. And you are a God that sees us not as we are, but who we could be the flashes of our future that we have not yet seen. And Lord, you will give us everything we need to cross that finish line. 
Don't allow us to be tempted to look back. Not at the failures, not at the successes. Help us to keep our eyes on you, the prize before us that has been instilled in us through Jesus. Oh, Lord, thank you for your love for us. You are so faithful in Jesus' name. Amen.